It is such an honor to be standing here to be able to, to present to you this morning. Uh, a special thanks to the children's ministry for holding down the fort while I'm away. Uh, we've got some amazing volunteers that are ministering to your kids. I hope you know that. We've got some very powerful people. So, <clears throat> uh, the message today is called Chasing the Wild Goose. Celtic Christians had a name for the Holy Spirit. They called him On God Gloss, the Wild Goose. See, the ancient Celtics, had, uh, they saw the Holy Spirit not as a hovering white dove, as the Hebrew believers did, but as a wild goose. The meaning behind this peculiar choice is because they saw how the Holy Spirit has a tendency to disrupt and surprise. See, the Holy Spirit moves in our lives in unexpected ways, similar to the actions of a wild goose. They knew they could not tame him. The Spirit-led life is an adventure. Too many Christians struggle following the Holy Spirit because it doesn't always seem to make sense. You want some biblical examples? Okay. Noah. Build a boat for a flood when you've never even seen rain. Moses, challenge the most powerful man in the world with a stick. Gideon, shrink your army of 30,000 people down to 300. Oh, and then you're going to go into battle carrying nothing but clay pots, torches, and trumpets. Nehemiah, rebuild the wall in 60 days and the king will pay for it. Peter, I want you to leave your thriving fishing business and follow a carpenter from Nazareth. The wedding party at Cana. Okay, they've run out of wine. You need to fill 35 clay pots with water. Lazarus, come out! See, many of these make no sense in the natural world. It seems like God is asking people to do random and bizarre things. But what God is asking them, as well as us, is... Do you trust me? Do you believe God's word and his promises to be greater than the circumstances? Jonah would rather have drowned in the ocean than to believe and obey God for the city of Nineveh. Abraham, sacrifice your son Isaac. Do you trust me? Jesus exhibited trust to save mankind from sin and restore relationship and authority to all mankind, you'll be beaten, whipped, and die on a cross like a criminal. Then you're going to raise from the dead, ascend to heaven, and sit at the right hand so that they may have God's authority on earth. Do you trust me? Faith is a belief in an outcome. You have faith in something even when you think you don't. You have faith that it's God's will for you to be healed or faith that sickness is too strong for God. You have faith that he wants to bless you or that he caused your poverty. That he is an all-powerful creator who made you with purpose or you're a cosmic accident. God exists or there's no such thing. These are all faith. Whether they're in something right or wrong, it's faith. It's belief in something. It can be a struggle to chase the wild goose because it's not logical. We have to get our logical, reasoning soul, our mind, will, and emotions out of the way. The first will be last. 
Greatest in the kingdom is those who are servants to others, sowing and reaping. You have to give away to receive, be poured out to overflow. Do you trust me? See, God will provide, equip, and enable us to accomplish everything that, we, that he's called us to do if we choose to be led. So here's the promise. Acts 1, chapter, uh, verse 8. <clears throat> but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witness to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's a pretty cool promise. The fulfillment was in the next chapter in Acts 2, verse 4. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Then Romans 8, 14 tells us, For all who are allowing themselves to be led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. It's a choice. It's a choice that we make just like thousands of other choices that we make every day. So where is he leading you? Have you turned off Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok long enough to first ask him and then be still and listen to his answer? Do you trust me? Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, and in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Stop trying to figure it all out. Make a choice to hear and obey. See, too many people choose to stay in a cage rather than to be set free to chase the wild goose. The cage door may be wide open, but often people can't see it or they become so comfortable in the cage that they don't even try to get out. There are six cages that can keep you from chasing the wild goose. The first cage, the cage of responsibility. So what does that look like? I have too many people counting on me. I've got a job. I've got a mortgage payment. I've got car payments. I've got debt I've got to take care of. Man, I've got to keep hustling because I've got too many people counting on me. Pursue the passion that God put in your heart. Let his promptings lead you. Now, don't turn responsibility into excuses. I'm not telling you to go home and abandon your family and quit your job. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is be open in the small things. Take a moment to pray for somebody when you feel the prompting, regardless of how much you've got to do on your task list, because God will bless that time and will give you creative ways to accomplish everything on your task list quicker because you were obedient. There are small, seemingly insignificant situations every day that we can choose to be led in, that have a ripple of effect for eternity. This will increase your confidence in first hearing his leading and then open doors of opportunity for you to follow him into greater things. The second cage, the cage of routine. This one might step on some toes. It's easy to trade spiritual adventure for, for routine. Routines and habits are great. They help us stay focused. They free up time to accomplish tasks that need to be done in a more effective and efficient way. But if we're not careful, it can easily just start going through the motions. Spiritual discipline 
can become empty rituals. When the routine that creates discipline becomes routine. For example, we put the word on on the speakers while we're going about our daily business and it becomes background noise. It just becomes filler. We basically lip sync worship because we're so familiar with the song we don't even think about what we're singing to God anymore. That cage will numb you to the real presence of God in the everyday normal life. That's a tactic of the enemy to weaken and to distract. Third cage, the cage of assumptions. I'm too old, too young, I don't have enough education, not enough money, not enough experience, yada, yada, yada. God uses willing vessels, not perfect ones. Gideon, a common laborer, became a valiant leader. Jacob, a deceiver, became Israel. David, a shepherd boy, became king. Joseph, a prisoner, became prime minister. Mary, a teenage girl, became the mother of the Son of God. Esther, an orphan, became a queen. Moses, a stutterer, became a deliverer. What if you just assume God wants his best for you in everything and that he's provided everything you would need to accomplish everything he's called you to do in every area? Would that change in your assumptions? Change a lot of the ways you do things? Fourth, the cage of shame. We can become neutralized by focusing on past mistakes so we don't even dream kingdom dreams anymore. The thing to understand about shame is it's not guilt. See, guilt is a focus on behavior. Shame is a focus on self. Guilt is I did something wrong or I did something bad. Shame is I am bad. How many of you, if you did something by mistake that hurt me, would be willing to say, you know what? I'm sorry, I made a mistake. But then you'd move on, right? Guilt is I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Shame is I'm sorry, I am a mistake. And then you can't move on. There's a huge difference between shame and guilt. And here's what you need to know. Shame is highly, highly correlated with addiction, depression, violence, aggression, Bullying, suicide, and eating disorders. Here's what else you need to know. Guilt is inversely correlated to those things. The ability to hold something you've done or failed to do up against who you want to be is incredibly helpful for growth. It's uncomfortable, but it's helpful. Shame can be caused by not dealing with vulnerability. By vulnerability, I mean that feeling we get when we feel uncertain or at risk or emotionally exposed. We live in a very vulnerable world. Having to ask for help, initiating relationships, being turned down, waiting for the doctor to call back, getting laid off, laying off people. This is the world we live in. And one of the ways we deal with that is we try to numb vulnerability those feelings of uncertainty, of risk, of emotional exposure that may overwhelm our brain. You need evidence of that? We are the most in-debt, obese, 
addicted, medicated adult cohort in, a, in U.S. history. The problem is you can't selectively numb emotion. You can't say, here's the bad stuff, here's uncertainty, here's anxiety, here's grief, here's shame, here's fear, here's disappointment. I don't want to feel those. So I'm going to go have a couple of beers and eat a box of Girl Scout cookies. You can't numb those feelings without numbing the other side of emotions. So when we numb those, we numb joy, we numb gratitude, we numb happiness, and then we're miserable. We're looking for purpose and meaning, and then we feel vulnerable. So then we have a couple of beers and eat a box of Girl Scout cookies, and it becomes a dangerous cycle. Brene Brown, a research professor at the University of Houston, found that there was only one variable that separated people who have a strong sense of love and belonging from those who really struggle for it. The people who have a strong sense of love and belonging believe they're worthy of love and belonging. That's it. They believe they're worthy. Let that sink in a minute. See, Jesus came to destroy that sense of not being worthy. God loves us so much, he gave his only son to be risen from the dead to restore our relationship and our sense of worth as his children. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are forgiven. As forgiven people, there's no need to feel shame. The next cage is the cage of failure. We learn from failure and grow forward, or we allow it to cripple us with fear and doubt. Insecurity results from, resulting from failure has killed more dreams than we know, but there is hope. Thomas Edison's teacher said he was too stupid to learn anything. As an inventor, Edison made a thousand unsuccessful attempts to produce the light bulb. Albert Einstein wasn't able to speak until he was almost four. Teachers said he would never amount to much. Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team. Walt Disney was fired from a newspaper for lacking imagination and having no original ideas. Oprah was demoted from her job as a news anchor because she wasn't fit for television. <clears throat> Study Abe Lincoln's life. He failed at business, had a nervous breakdown, was defeated for senator twice, rejected as vice president, but kept improving and growing. See, some of the greatest success stories in history come from someone who failed time and time again, but refused to give up. Sometimes our plans have to fail for God's to succeed. If we can do it all on our own, it's not a God-sized dream. Too many people start out pursuing a passion and end up settling for a paycheck. They trade making a life for making a living and can become a, what I call a successful failure. They climb the ladder of success only to realize it's leaned against the wrong wall. Maybe you feel like a failure because you think this is taking too long. I should have been further along by now. Maybe he's trying to teach you something in the process so that you can handle the prosperity when it comes. So you don't end up like the hillbilly that won a lottery and wrecked his life in the process. 
See, the cure for the fear of failure isn't success. The cure for the fear of failure is failure in small enough doses that we build an immunity to it. It becomes a motivator to press on. Parents, let your kids fail at something small. Let them make mistakes so that they are willing to try again. Encourage them to keep trying and try again. The last cage, the cage of fear. Fear is faith in the wrong outcome. It may be based on past failure, on shame, or it may be totally irrational. Either way, it locks you up. See, leading goes before you. Fear tries to push you in an attempt to make you run. If you've ever seen lions when they're hunting, they will attack a herd and make them scatter. When they scatter, they pick out the weak and the slow to devour. Intellect will drive you in order to get you ahead of God and his timing. Joshua 1.9 says, have I not commanded you, not suggested, commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Do you trust me? Maybe you identified your cage or cages, but you're not sure what to do next. Here are five cage breakers, things that will help you get out of the cage. Number one, start praying. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. Put God back in the God spot in every area of your life. Remove the item in his spot and focus on him in everything. You're having a relationship trouble with your spouse? That's easy. Love Jesus. I've got money issues, pastor. Love Jesus. I hate my job. Love Jesus. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be taken care of. Number two, stop praying and start doing. See, prayer should lead to action. Start praising as though it's already happened. You work in partnership with God. You don't need to pray about things that he's already told you in his word. Amen. Love your neighbor, give, serve others. Not withhold good when it's in your ability to do it. These things are automatic. All through scripture, God directs his people in steps, one at a time. Abraham, go to a land I will show you. He didn't give him a map. Joshua, march around Jericho seven times without speaking, then blow the trumpets. Moses followed God to the Red Sea, but the sea didn't part until Moses raised his staff. Peter had to get out of the boat to walk on water. The boy stepped up with five loaves and two fishes to feed a multitude. The apostles preached the gospel and signs and wonders followed. It was in the going, in the doing, that God worked with them. He didn't go for them, he went with them. They had to take the first step of obedience. When we're moved to action, God meets us with the miraculous. God wants to work with us. So one of my daughters was getting her driving, uh, her driving license, and I was sitting at DMV, kind of bored, nothing to do. So I thought, you know, I've always wanted a bike. I'm going to take the test 
to get my learner's permit to drive a motorcycle. I, I took the test, passed, got my permit, came home, told Kim. I said, well, I just got my learner's permit for the bike. She's like, what bike? You don't have a bike. I said, well, you know, I'm prepared now. If somebody wants to give me a bike, God, I'm ready. I'm not kidding you. Within a month, two different people from two different cities provided me with a bike. And one of those people paid for the motorcycle safety course so that I wouldn't kill myself while learning how to ride the bike. God went with me and prepared opportunities. Third cage breaker, have the courage to live by faith and conquer fear. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we can't see. Fear and faith work the same way. You believe that something will happen either way. Fear is having faith in the lies of the enemy more than the promises of God. Fear of the dark versus the protection of God. Fear of illness versus faith in healing. Fear of spiders versus your faith in the ability to tread on snakes and scorpions. So how do you move out of faith to fear? You make a decision to believe truth. Numbers 23, 19 said, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. If he said it, it's true. You can have four-year-old faith. My daughter, when she was four years old, was looking at the Bible. Dad, these words are in red. That means Jesus said them, right? Yes. So why don't we do them? Ouch. Psychologists tell us there's only born, that we're only born with two fears. The fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. All other fears are learned. And there's good news. If it's learned, we can unlearn. Secondly, accept his spirit. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, of cowardice, of craving and cringing and fawning fear, but he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of calm and well-balanced mind and discipline and self-control. Reject other spirits that push you to anxiety and fear. Have courage. See, courage is not the absence of fear. It's the decision to act anyway. The decision that something or someone, including yourself, is more valuable than the failure to act. His favor goes before you as a shield. No weapon formed against you can prosper. You are more than a conqueror. Fourth cage breaker, have the courage to renew your mind. That takes discipline. Romans 12.2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the constant renewing of your mind. Not the occasional, the constant renewing of your mind. Joshua 1.8 says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then, then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. After you meditated on the word day and night, you speak it over your life. Prophesy to your own future. Philippians 4, 8 says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely 
and admirable. Meditate on things that are excellent and worthy of praise until it becomes your normal view of the world. The fifth cage breaker, have the courage to surround yourself with friends who will encourage you. Find a group of foundational level people who bring out the best in you, who influence you to become better, to have greater faith, to have greater confidence, to see things from God's perspective. Ecclesiastes 4 says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Proverbs 13.30 says, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Do you ever feel stuck? Like the wind's let out of your sails? That you're not moving forward? Are the rest of your friends in the same boat? If so, maybe it's time to jump ship. There are some friendships that are not healthy for you. You may need to cut some people out of your life. That takes courage. David had his mighty men. You can read about them in 2 Samuel 28 and 1 Chronicles 11. They're so awesome that they're in there twice. Be like David and surround yourself with mighty men, not just occasionally, but make it a lifestyle. Engage a meetup, a tribe, a fellowship, a team that will sharpen, strengthen, support, cover, and pray with you. Proverbs tells us, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens his friend. If you want to stay sharp, surround yourself with people who will strengthen and challenge you. People who will lift you up. For more information on meetups, you can go to lwfc.org meetups or click the meetups tab on the Church Center app. Remember, whenever you see a turtle on top of a fence post, somebody had to put him there. <laughs> Get out of the cage. Make a commitment to be led by the Holy Spirit. On the spectrum of adventure from one to 10, one being totally safe and 10 being wide open for God, where are you? Where do you wanna be? I've got good news. If you're hearing this, you're alive. And if you're alive, it's not too late. The date of death isn't always the date carved on your tombstone. See, many people start dying long before that. We all start dying with nothing worth living for. And we don't really start living until you find something worth dying for. Discovering something worth dying for makes life worth living. Step out for an adventure that your heart cries out for. Jesus did. His mission statement can be found in Luke 4:18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, the Messiah, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to announce release, pardon, forgiveness to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, downtrodden, bruised, crushed by tragedy, those who are beaten up by life to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, the day when salvation and the favor of God abound greatly. John 10, 10 in the Amplified says, the thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have and enjoy life 
and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. That takes courage. Living a life to the full. Every area of life requires courage. Courage to fail, courage to succeed, courage to face your fears, courage to face the unknown. It'll be tempting to resist and to take the easy way out, to stay in your comfort zone and crawl back in the cage. Resist that, regardless of the phase of life that you're in. Are you living with regret? Maybe you put some dreams on hold for a while to train your kids. Notice I said train, not raise. You raise crops and livestock. You train warriors and champions. Dust those things off and pursue them. What did God originally call you to do that you put aside? Has he been reigniting that desire? Has he been speaking to you louder about that calling, that ministry, that business, that endeavor? Have you had a dream that you've been pushing down for years? Maybe you thought it was selfish, foolish, or you were worried about what people would think if you followed the dream God placed in you. Stop being concerned about what others think. Squash that insecurity with the confidence of who you are. In case you didn't know, you're a blood-bought child of the king. And start living for the applause of nail-scarred hands. Many want to live a safe life and leave an attractive corpse. Man, not me. I want to slide into the pearly gates sideways, completely exhausted, completely worn out, and yell, man, what a ride. William Wallace in the movie Braveheart said, all men die, but few men truly live. Be strong and courageous. Know that he is with you. All things are possible through him who gives you strength. He made us overcomers. We are more than conquerors. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. You're not given a spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind. Chase the dreams that God has placed in you. Accomplish all that he's called you to do. If you've fallen short, if you've gotten weary, stop pursuing the plan of God. Maybe you got distracted and ineffective. Ask forgiveness. Get up and start today to pursue with passion the dreams and desires that God's put in your heart. Today, you have your entire future ahead of you. So what lies behind you has brought you to this moment. But what lies within you, the power of the Holy Spirit will propel you to your destiny. Chase the wild goose. Do you trust me? Answer with an emphatic yes. Let's take a moment in reflection. Ask Holy Spirit to show you where he's leading you. Ask forgiveness as needed for not following his lead. Ask him to reignite that passion, that purpose, that direction. And then listen and be aware of his presence and leading. Take a step of faith. It may be literally stepping out into the aisle or coming to the altar. It may be sowing a monetary seed. But be bold when he prompts you to move and chase the